0: Welcome to The Room, where we talk about the hard parts of leadership that every great leader goes through, but no one wants to talk about. I'm Jenny Dufresne, host of The Room podcast and CEO of Leaders Transform, a business growth training firm. I am a global leader, former United States Marine, international best-selling author, community and business leader. The Room is your safe space. We'll talk about the things that are difficult for leaders, the tough stuff that leaders aren't willing to be vulnerable about. we really need to. So come on in, close the door, join me in the room. I know leaders and I know leadership. After 70 years as a leader, Queen Elizabeth's reign has ended. It's made me think a lot about sustaining leadership for the long haul. It's also made me question and reflect upon how we've been trained to lead. So I want you to imagine for a moment, being 21 years old and literally overnight becoming the leader of dozens of countries, and those countries are really under your leadership because of colonization, because of the policies of your family and your country who came into those countries and took them by force took their wealth by force took their people by force and here you are 21 years old and you're thrust into this role of leadership now mind you you've had some preparation because as a monarch and coming from a royal family there was you know the the the, the requisite development of skill to you know be poised and exude confidence and have measured tone and all of those things that go along with being Uh, 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 someone from a royal family. But think about you when you were 21 years old. Could you have taken on the role of leadership of a country with millions of people or dozens of countries with millions upon millions of people as your subjects or as your followers? I can't imagine what it would have been like to step into those leadership shoes that Queen Elizabeth stepped in to, at age of 21. I look at some of the black and white film of her greeting some of her subjects, in air quotes, of countries that didn't look like her. And I wonder what was going through her head. Did she feel ready? Did she feel confident? Did she have doubts? Like we don't talk about that part of leadership. We talk about, you know, her poise and her dignity and, and, you know, people, these adoring fans. Well, right, you had to be an adoring fan of the queen because the monarchy owns your people and owns your land, owns your treasure. And I just wonder, what was it like to be her at 21? As she traveled around the world, as she met every single one, I think it was 14 or 17 uh, presidents of the United States, except one, meeting heads of state, meeting presidents of countries, who did she have to be to be able to do that? What kind of leader did she have to develop? But more importantly, who helped her, who groomed her to be that leader? What I'm very clear about for any of us in leadership It is a mistake to go it alone. It is a mistake to believe that we, through our intuition and all that, that we can come out and be the very best leader. In our work in my company, Leaders Transform, we see time after time after time, great leaders who have tremendous blind spots in how they lead, how they impact people. So imagine being the queen, Imagine having to get help. Imagine having to have advisors and coaches to help you develop not only as a leader on the the outside, but also being able to manage internally all the myriad of emotions, the fear of stepping onto foreign soils where people really didn't like you or your country, the fear that might have come from having to stand before the cameras and speak with eloquence and speak with confidence and yet inside you don't feel any of that because the queen is just a person she's just a human being just like me just like you she had fears she had doubts she had concerns she had personal idiosyncratic behaviors that she had to manage in order to stand in front of people and exude confidence, exude followership, exude belief in her leadership. But imagine again being 21 and literally overnight having to have all of that together. I believe it was impossible. I believe, yes, her early training for the first 20, 21 years of her life of being in the monarchy, having private school, private teachings at, at home in her castles. Yeah, I believe that all those things were, were important. But as I was thinking about this and preparing for this, for this podcast, she was not expected to be queen. She only became queen because her father's brother abdicated the throne, which I didn't remember because I don't really follow the royals. But he abdicated the throne because he wanted to marry a woman who had been divorced twice. And that is how Queen Elizabeth became queen. So that meant that she was never really prepared to be queen. So as I've been thinking about being 21 and being queen of millions of subjects, followers, I've also been thinking about how that form of leadership that we see externally, how that form of leadership is actually the form of leadership that many of us are still trained, often are still trained to follow. So realize that the British way of leading has permeated our globe because The British colonized so many countries, but also set the standard of how we should lead, how people should conduct themselves, how leaders should show up. Just think about that for a second. If you know history, the British colonized multitudes of people. And by that colonization, whether it was through missionaries or actual conquering of lands, that the British way of leadership permeated our lands, the way of keeping a stiff upper lip, not showing emotion, not not availing yourselves to being questioned by people who were junior to you. And that way of leadership is the way that many of us have come into this role of leading. There are some changes, particularly I see women who are starting to show more aspects of our humanity in leadership, showing more compassion, showing more authenticity, or being more authentic, meaning showing emotion, um, being more connected to the people who are around us by creating spaces and opportunities for them to ask us questions. But I really want us to think about that Queen Elizabeth, the way that she led the way that we saw her, of being reserved, having tight control of her emotions, not sharing personal feelings about the, the, the goings-on of the day, people not being able to question her publicly, maybe not even privately, I don't know, but that that form of leadership has been the form of leadership that many of us, many of us have learned. And so there's some benefits to it. Clearly, we're, there's the the idea of being consistent in leadership, providing stability to people around you, which is important, um, being able to keep people moving forward, which is important. But I want to challenge, as we're watching the celebrations of her her transition and thinking about the leader that she was, thinking about how um, how her model of leadership is being talked about today is that this form of leadership came out of, in my perspective, came out of one country and its domination of the world. And other voices of leadership, particularly Indigenous voices, people, primarily people of color all around the world, had different ways of leading, had different ways of building leadership community, had different ways of having uh, um, arguments and and dissension inside community, had different structures of those being being, uh, resolved. But those models of leadership, which are more communal, are not talked about often. The model leadership that all of us have been under and even have been trained to, to, to follow and to exude, has been this form of leadership that we have seen exemplified through Queen Elizabeth. And now her son, King Charles III, is even a more profound example of reserve. I was watching his comment, his, his public address, um, about you know, who he's going to be as king. And I remember the announcer saying that he was trying to hold back emotion when he was speaking of his mother and her, and her death. And I swear, I looked at the television several times, I saw no shift or change in emotion as he went from talking about his duty to service and public, you know, being a public servant to talking about his mother's death. I didn't see it. Maybe it was there. I don't know. But... That form, now that I see King Charles III exemplifying, is the form of leadership that I think is becoming outdated. I think it's a form of leadership that isn't as relevant today when people have so much access to information. You know, 200, 400, 500 years ago, we didn't have instant access to information. Leaders couldn't create particular veils of protection between themselves and their, and their followers. Today, someone in a company, a young person coming into a company can Google what kind of salary a CEO is making and then can challenge that CEO on social media when there are discrepancies in wages inside of a company. So what do leaders need to do today? I believe a couple of things. Yes, it is important for us to provide stability to our companies, to our communities. That is important. I also, and I'm having to challenge my own self in all of this, because I, like many of you listening, we were trained to be reserved. We were trained to keep a stiff upper lip. We were trained to keep tight control of our emotions. And in different places, it is imperative. If you're on a battlefield, you can't break down because it really does impact the people who are following you because they're scared to death too. But I think for those of us who are not in those types of environment, but even maybe those of us who are, being able to create a space of compassion and of empathy for the people around us by still maintaining stability, consistency, uh, an ethic of integrity, those are still important hallmarks of leadership but one that we're often missing is compassion. One that we're often missing is listening. Our country today and literally countries around the globe are being being ripped apart in some ways because we no longer can listen and respect, not tolerate, but respect the opinions that are completely divergent from ours. Let me give you an example of this. A couple of days ago, I was talking to a woman who I've newly met and we were talking and we were talking about COVID. We got into the subject of COVID and she, in the course of the conversation, she said, you know, I, I'm not vaccinated. And she said, I, and I could tell that she was, you know, anti-vaccine, the COVID vaccine particularly. And then I said, you know, I've gotten all four shots. I, I, I am vaccinated And then she said to me, well, I'm not going to say anything else anymore. I don't want to talk about this anymore. And it struck me. And as I heard her voice and I could feel the agitation and maybe the anger or maybe the judgment, I don't know. But I took a breath and I said, you know, we all have to do what is best for ourselves. And, you know, for me and my family, this is what we chose to do. But it doesn't make anybody wrong. I know that everybody has a perspective. And we were able to, I, I could feel her, maybe her resistance or agitation or defensiveness, whatever it was, I don't know. I could feel it kind of melt away. And that is something that when we look at a, a leadership model like Queen Elizabeth, where people were were forbade from asking her questions, particularly in public or challenging her perspectives in public maybe even in private that that form of leadership isn't it uh, isn't isn't workable anymore but the other part of this is that there's a way that we need to honor each other we can't ask questions that are like gotcha questions there's a way that we have to be respectful in our questions and not saying things like with all due respect because that's bullshit we're not we're not really exuding all due respect Right? Like sometimes we're, we say that and then we go and we jab a, you know, we jab a knife in someone's heart. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really inside of ourselves before we ask that question to find and be empathetic with our own selves and to breathe and get clear on what we're trying to, to achieve. If we're trying to beat up the other person with our words, then that's not really where the, the place we need to go. But being able as leaders to create space where people can ask difficult questions of us and we can take a breath and say, you know what, I I don't know. You're right, what do you think? And giving it back to to that person asking the question. And we can do that by still and still maintain stability, still maintain forward movement in our organizations. And we can do that sometimes publicly, but we have to create the culture, the organizational culture, the team culture, where that is acceptable. There's so many people that I watch in companies that are pissed off at their leaders, probably to the point of even undermining those leaders. But because the culture is such that, this kind of stiff upper lip British type of leadership model is maintained so strongly, People don't feel that they can ask questions or disagree with their leader, but if they could, their companies will often function better. Their environments, the teams will often function better. It can't be disrespectful. That is not workable. But we can create environments where compassion and empathy, along with accountability, along with integrity, doing the right thing no matter what, no matter when, no matter who's watching or not watching, that we can create environments like that. Leadership and leader, leaders and leadership has to evolve to the, to the environments that we have today. The access to information no longer will allow us to be reserved and hide behind our titles or our roles. It is important for us to look at Queen Elizabeth's leadership and recognize the aspects that were helpful, but also recognize the aspects that kept people in the dark, that kept people denying their own experiences, that kept people not feeling that they could ask difficult questions. And because of that, it might have kept them trapped. So, I invite you to reflect as you're looking at the next few days and months as we get into um, the transition, this this particular transition of power. I'd like you to reflect on your own leadership. How much of your leadership reflects or embodies the stiff upper lip leadership exemplified by this global British colonization? And ask yourself how can I do it differently? because we're in a different world. We have people who have access to all kinds of information. People are expecting leaders to be more human, to be more human, more approachable, more connectable, more relatable. What do you need to do to evolve your own leadership? Hey, it's Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of The Room, a safe place where leaders come together to talk about the things that we don't often share out loud. If you enjoyed your time in the room, please like or subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. And if you want to learn more about our important work with leaders, head over to the website, leaderstransformed.com, and continue to be connected to our community. Thank you again for listening, and make sure you invite someone the next week episode of The Room.